It's the time of year when we're all thinking about goals and priorities. Now is the time to plan your next trip. Whatever kind of travel fills you up, whether it's lounging on the beach, connecting with family and friends, or going on a foreign adventure, Expedia has the tools you need to plan a great trip. Download the Expedia app or visit Expedia.com to start planning. You do need to be a OneKey member to use price tracking. Signing up is easy and free. Expedia, made to travel. Hey, Fidelity. How can I remember to invest every month? With the Fidelity app, you can choose a schedule and set up recurring investments in stocks and ETFs. Oh, that sounds easier than I thought. You got this. Yeah, I do. Now, where did I put my keys? You will find them where you left them. Investing involves risk, including risk of loss. Fidelity Brokerage Services, LLC, member NYSE SIPC. I'm Oprah Winfrey. Welcome to Super Soul Conversations, the podcast. I believe that one of the most valuable gifts you can give yourself is time. Taking time to be more fully present. Your journey to become more inspired and connected to the deeper world around us starts right now. When was the last time you wholeheartedly said yes to life? faced your fears, ignored that no voice inside your head, and just said, yes, I'm all in. Well, that's what Shonda Rhimes did. Shonda described herself as extremely shy and introverted and felt it was time for a radical shift. So the mega-talented mastermind behind some of TV's hottest shows like Scandal, Grey's Anatomy, and How to Get Away with Murder gave herself a challenge. For one full year, she erased the word no from her vocabulary. Shonda's year of yes was an epiphany that impacted her life in unexpected ways. So, welcome to Super Soul Sunday. Thank you for having me. Thank you for saying yes. (laughs) Absolutely. Thank you for saying yes in this year of yes. And, you know, the whole point of this show is to open people's heart space a little bit. Yeah. Get them to have different ways of thinking about things. But I just wanted to share that... I knew something was going on with you because I don't say yes to a lot of things. I like being at home. But at least three times this year, I said yes to things. And at every single one of those things, you were there. We saw each other out. We saw each other. And so the first time, I was like, hmm, Shonda's out. The second time, we were at a Selma party. Right. And then I invited you to the Legends. And then... Oh, and I came, yeah. Shonda said yes. I said, what is going on? It was completely new for me. I thought, Oprah goes everywhere. No, <laughs> no, never go anywhere. no. Those are the only places I've been this year. <laughs> and you you were out and about in a way that I had not seen. Ever. And, and then I heard that you'd written the book, Year of Yes, yeah. and that it was a conscious decision. It was. It was a real effort to decide to spend a certain amount of time just sort of saying yes to everything that scared me. Wow. Yeah. Well, you know, one of the whole purposes of this platform, Super Soul Sunday, is to get people to open up and say yes to life. And, you know, one of the reasons I really appreciate the idea of the year of yes is that to say yes to life, you got to start saying yes to life experiences, to things that ordinarily would scare you Mm -hmm. or intimidate you or you think would bore you. Absolutely. 
So this all started with your sister Dolores, tell me. It did, it was Thanksgiving of 2013. And we were standing in my kitchen. She's chopping things, making things for Thanksgiving dinner. And I was sort of doing what I always do, which is giving her this long, fancy list of all the invitations I'd received. People wanted me to speak here, and I'd invited this party and that party. And finally, she just sort of cut me off. And she said, are you going to do any of these things? And I, well, no. And I was very surprised that she asked me that, because obviously, no. And she, she sort of shook her head and said, why not? And I thought, what does she mean, why not? And I said, well, I have, you know, the babies. I have two small children. I have yeah. an 11-year-old. I have two shows. I can't possibly do any of these things. And she looked at me and she said, you know, you have two sisters who live four blocks away. Your parents are 45 minutes away. They'd come and stay in a heartbeat. You have a wonderful nanny. You have fantastic friends, really close. You're supported all over the place. All you do is work. You never have any fun. You never go anywhere. You never do anything. And I thought, she doesn't know what she's talking about. I mean, I really got an attitude about it. I was uh -huh. like, I'm leaving this kitchen. <laughs> and she said, you never say yes to anything. Mm -hmm. And that really stuck with me. And you had already accepted to be on the board of the Kennedy Center, because that was a seminal yeah. moment, right? Well, I don't even know if you accept being on the board of the Kennedy Center. I feel like when the president of the United States asks you to serve, you serve. Right. Um, so I had to go to the Kennedy Center Honors yes. because I had just been nominated yeah. to the board of trustees. And when I got there, I was informed that I was sitting in the presidential box with the president and the first lady and the secretary of state and his wife. Now, generally, I think for other people, this would have been the most exciting thing in the world. Yes, like woohoo! I was horrified, like so stressed out and so nervous about the entire thing. But nobody asked me. They said, this is where you're sitting. And so that is where I sat. And I was really nervous but I ended up having an amazingly fun time. It was an incredible evening. And where I started out sort of almost being unable to speak, by the end of the evening, I was really comfortable and having a delightful time. And when I got home from DC, I literally was crawling into bed and I had a thought, which was, if they had asked you, you would have said no. If they had asked you to sit with the president and the first lady, you would have said no, which is, so sad, I would have missed this experience that I wouldn't trade for anything. And you would have said no out of humility and no let somebody else and no, or just... I, I would have said no out of fear. Really? And what I really realized was that I would have said no because I felt like, why would they want to sit with me? Mm. What, am I, what am I gonna say? What do I have to add to the conversation? Because you're Shondaland. I, but there's a part of me that feels like that's, those are the characters. Mm. And the stories that I tell are very exciting, but somehow I am not a part of that story. So that was enough. over a year ago. That was over a year ago. And now you can say that in a year's time of saying yes, a year of saying yes, mm -hmm. you are a, com would you say you're a completely different I person? I am a completely different person. I mean, Everybody I, I mean, everybody who knows me thinks I'm a completely different person. I'm, I feel like a completely different person. There's a transformation that happened that I wasn't expecting. Well, first of all, you lost a lot of I lost of 110 pounds, which was a complete byproduct of the entire thing. It wasn't the goal. It wasn't a thing that was part of it. Um, one of the yeses, though, was one day I thought, well, you can't sort of say yes to everything and not say yes to taking care of yourself. You not say yes to health. Um, and that came from sort of having an epiphany of I work hard to succeed at every single thing I do. I work my butt off at work. I work really hard to be a mother. I work really hard at everything. Why do I think that losing weight's supposed to be easy? 
why do I think that it's going to be fun to put down the fried chicken? It's never going to be fun to put down the fried chicken. I'm always going to hate losing weight. So if I can accept that I'm always going to hate losing weight, then either I'm going to do it or I'm not going to do it. So you made a decision. Yeah, I made, I gave myself some rules. I mean, some really clear rules. Like I said, um, I was never going to tell myself I couldn't have something, which was a new thing for me because yeah. I'd always made a bunch of like really crazy restrictive yeah, rules. Yeah. No and, carbs, no but Yeah, and then last always Chicken less, with no skin, blah, blah, blah. It lasts like three days yes. and then I'd be eating an entire cake or something. Yes, yes. Um, so now I sort of just made it, I could have whatever I wanted. And I made a really crazy rule for me, which was amazing, which was I only eat what I crave. Wow. I'd never even thought of it before. You just eat automatically. Um, but the idea of just eating what you crave became kind of exciting because then I'd be like, I really want this kind of brownie. And then I'd have it and I didn't even have to eat the whole thing and I'd be perfectly satisfied versus you'd say, you know, ah, oh, I want some chocolate, I want a brownie, I want something. And then you'd eat all these substitutes. You're still not satisfied. I've eaten four health bars trying not to get to yes. one brownie. Well, it was life-changing. And it's no coincidence that it all happened at the same it's time. It's absolutely no coincidence. Yeah. I also think, you know, one of the things that happened during the year was I started saying yes to telling people what I think. You know, there's sort of a yes to no bull going yeah. on there. Um, and I stopped, I would say, like, I, I stopped eating all my feelings and just started telling people them, uh -huh. um, which meant I got a lot more frank and a lot more upfront with people, which was really good for me as well. Yeah. Were you one of those people, too, who never said yes to what you really wanted, but you said yes to a lot of things you didn't? Yeah. Yeah. I was absolutely the person who did anything you asked me to that I didn't want to do, yeah. and then sort of grumbled about it quietly to myself. Which builds a, a level of resentment. Yes, and then yes. I'd feel resentful towards people. Yes, yes. So when you left the Kennedy Center, you're flying back and you say to yourself, oh, that was, I actually had fun, and maybe I need to take a look at my life. Mm -hmm. I really sat down and thought, I need to start saying yes to the things that scare me. Hmm. If I never say yes to anything, I need to start saying yes to things that I would always say no to automatically. Yes. And I promised myself that I would do it for just a year because I thought that I wasn't going to survive. <laughs> I really thought I'm going to die of shame and shock and fear. Uh-huh. Um, and so I sort of threw it out there. Well, I heard that you had a major epiphany about marriage. I did. I did. And that was really freeing as well. I, dis I mean, I sort of discovered, I mean, I, I knew, but I sort of, was able to finally sort of stand up and say, I don't want to get married at all. And I feel like- Like you said that out loud. I said that out loud. I said it to everybody. I said it to my family. I said it to my friends. I said it to anybody who asked, which feels obvious and you know maybe silly or something to people who are married or people who are older, or people who've been through it. But if you're a woman in your 30s or 40s, that's a big deal. Everybody's asking you all the time if it's going to happen, when it's going to happen. Mm -hmm. um, if you're dating anybody, they're definitely asking you about it. It's a big... First they ask, are you dating? Yes. Then the mo Particularly if you're a famous person. First, are you dating? Who are you dating? Who are you dating? And then the moment you're dating more than a month, mm -hmm. it's when are you getting married? Yes. How close is the relationship? There's a lot of pressure on that. There's a huge amount yeah. of pressure. And the desire to want to get married it's a lot like the desire to want to have children in our society. Yeah. Like you're supposed to want it. And if you don't want it, what's wrong with you? Yeah. It's fascinating to me. 
And I always knew, I'm one of those people, since I was five, I could tell you I was gonna have kids. I could tell you I was gonna have three. I could tell you they were gonna be girls. But I have never wanted to get married. I never played bride. I was never interested. I don't know what it is. I never wanted to get married. I love having boyfriends. I love dating. I do not want a husband in my house. And I don't know what it is. I just don't. Well, I don't know if I've ever said this publicly, but I really wanted to be wanted to be married to. Uh -huh. I wanted Stedman to want to marry me. Right. The moment he asked me to marry him, I was like, oh, God. Now I actually have to get, have to married. get married. And we ended up not getting married because I was supposed to do a book at the same time. Uh, this was in 1993. And the wedding and the book were happening around the same time. Mm -hmm. And we were on our way from the book party. And Stedman said he did not want to have his wedding um, disturbed by all these people asking me about the book, which I ended up not doing. Mm -hmm. And I said, OK, all right. So he said, we should just postpone this wedding. And I said, okay. And that was it. And we have never discussed it again. Wow. But what I realized is, I don't want to be married. See, there's I a freedom. I don't want to be married. Because I could not have the life that I created for myself. Yes. I couldn't do it. I couldn't do it. And all the people would say, say to me, well, you could do, because you could have your baby and you could have the baby and you could have uh, your own nursery here and you could do that and you could be married and that. I knew that I could not do that. I knew that I couldn't do it. I have so much going on inside my head in terms of writing. There's such a large space in my life taken up by that. Yeah. I can't imagine it being taken up by a husband and children and writing and everything getting its due. Because don't people always say, oh, you can either be a writer or you can have kids. Yeah. Or you can be a writer or you can be married. Or you can be a writer yes. and do this, this. There's not room for all of it. There's not, and I don't believe there is room for all of it. I really don't. Particularly for you. Maybe there's some people who are doing it. There, there may be some people who are doing it and who are very happy and who love it. And I'm not knocking any of you. Yeah. It's not that. It's just, I've never, it's never been like a dream of mine. To be married. Yeah, it's just not, it's not a thing. So this year of yes got that clarified. And it was really freeing to sort of say it out loud and to not feel, I always felt like it was a dirty little secret because you're not supposed to want, not want that. Oh my, you see, you just liberated a lot of people. Yeah. Yeah, but I've lived with this for years, the, the pressure, the tabloids, every week making a story, why you're not married, it's my fault, it's his fault, I want to be married, but I, I never, I never wanted it. Yeah. And so... Does it mean you still date? You're open to dating? I'm You're absolutely still dating. I'm very open to dating. And part of the year of yes is that I feel like I'm more aware of, of the attentions of men. Whereas before, I feel like I was a little bit more shut down and someone would have to say, that guy was kind of flirting with you. And I'd go, what? I didn't even know. Now, at least, I feel like I'm, I'm looking. Like mm. I might actively be looking, so I actually, my antennas are up. Don't go anywhere. More to come after this short break. No two travelers are exactly alike, and that means no two trips should be either. Texas' vast landscape of cultures, regions, destinations, and activities allow for an infinite number of different travel experiences. Are you a beach person? Well, you'll be having fun under the sun with Texas' 350 miles of coastline. If you're more of a rugged vacation type, there are campgrounds, hiking trails, and state parks galore. And foodies can't get enough of Texas' world-famous barbecue and Tex-Mex. Enjoy live music, 
Visit internationally recognized art museums and check out thrilling cowboy experiences. And now, Travel Texas offers a one-of-a-kind online trip builder that allows users to generate a custom, visually-led trip matched to their unique interests. Visit TravelTexas.com slash GetYourOwn to get the only trip to Texas that matters. Yours. That's TravelTexas.com slash GetYourOwn. Did you know that it's Asian American and Pacific Islander Heritage Month? Macy's is highlighting some really cool AAPI-owned brands right now, like Cardon, Kaja, Amelia George, and Hey Meave. Plus, you can help to support college access and student success when you donate online or round up in-store to APIA scholars. APIA is the nation's leading nonprofit organization devoted to the academic, personal, and professional success of Asian American, Native Hawaiian, and Pacific Islander students. Shop Asian American and Pacific Islander-owned brands at Macy's.com or in-store. And so I also heard that you learned in the process to say no in a way to be able to say, no, I'm not able to do that, which I'm going to take that line from you. No, I'm, yes. I'm really not able to do that. That is, my, that is my no is a complete sentence sentence, which is I'm sorry, no, I'm not able to do that. And that's all I say. And it was, it's really hard to say that to people. It's very interesting how, I don't know, wired we are to tell somebody a thousand reasons why we can't do something for them. You know, you say, I can't do it because of this and yeah. this. And as if you're required. To defend your nice, niceness. Yes, your to defend nicehood. it. Yes. Right, yeah, I'm a good person. I'm a good I'm person. Nice. I want you to think I'm nice. And so I'm going to tell you why, all the reasons why. So you got that. You figured that out. That was, that was a hard one, though. I mean, that one was one that I've struggled with over the course of the year to really get right. Because you lose some so-called friends. I lost some friends this over the course of the year. I really did. I, I, I shed some pounds. I shed some friends, as I like to say. Yeah. And it was, it was painful. But it was also really freeing. Like, I've been happier over the course of the year than I ever have, partially because I found that I am not doing things that I didn't want to do. Yeah. Yeah, it's really amazing. I think probably a surprise to a lot of people that you, the founder, creator of the empire, Shondaland, um, TGIT, mm-hmm. ABC, Thursday nights, creating all of these characters that now become a part of our lives that you really were painfully shy up until last year. Yeah, I, I think it would be. I mean, it's interesting because I feel like perhaps they're mistaking me for my characters. Yeah. And there is the beauty of getting to hide behind my characters. Yeah. You know, my characters were living a much more exciting life than I was. They were saying all the things perhaps I would want to say or do or having the courage that I was not having at the time. And the character closest to who you really are would be? There's a little bit of me in everybody. There's a lot of Christina Yang in me, uh-huh. and there's a lot of Olivia Pope in me now, now that I've become sort of much more of a professional woman. Mm-hmm. Starting out, I think I was a lot more Christina Yang, and now I feel like I'm much more Olivia Pope. Really? Yeah. Good. Yeah. Yeah, and so. good combination. Good combination, good but com- not, as, you know, not as outgoing um, before. So one of the first things that came along to say yes to was the invitation to speak at your alma mater. That was the very first thing that happened was, I feel like you throw something out like that out into the universe and suddenly it hails yes. um, opportunities. The president of Dartmouth called and said, will you do the commencement speech? No one's ever asked me to give a speech 
anywhere before for any reason. So it was crazy that suddenly that was what was happening. And that it was Dartmouth. It was Dartmouth. It's in front of, you know, thousands and thousands of people. It's a 20 to 25, 30 minute speech. It's not, you know, talk for five minutes. It was a huge deal. Yeah. Um, and it's graduation. And it's graduation. Where you're supposed to come up with some kind of wisdom, something. Where they talk about it, you know, they put it on the internet. Which you said in the speech, deal. yeah. I was very worried about yeah. it. But you said yes. I said yes which was terrifying, <laughs> um, but was nice because- And you would get it, when you say terrified, uh, I read somewhere where you said, because you know, this isn't the first time I've interviewed you, but you were saying you couldn't even remember what happened. You get that kind of terror where it's yeah. like a white hot terror comes over you and you can't, yes. I think I've told you that every single time you've interviewed me, I always say like, what I remember is Oprah's coming towards me and then a white hot light and then <laughs> nothing. <laughs> You know, people always say, how was it? And I, I have no idea. <laughs> like, did I say anything? Did, literally, because I would be so fearful that I, I feel like my body would go into shock. The, I don't know what it was, but I would, the stage fright would overtake me. There would be such a sense of panic of what's happening. I remember standing there and going, there's Oprah. And then literally, that's the last real thing <laughs> I remember of the entire thing. And then it being over and me going, I hope I didn't say anything crazy. I, I understand that. I understand it. I mean, I, I, I don't think I had it that bad, but that happened to me the very first time I interviewed Sidney Poitier. Because uh. he had, you know, he's the love of my... Yeah aspirational dream. I'd watched him since Lilies of the Field <laughs> mm -hmm. when he won the Academy Award. And the first time he sat down on the Oprah Winfrey show, I swear, I can't remember anything other than him sitting. And then in the end, I remember there's a photo of him hugging me. Yeah. And after he left, I just went in the control room, put my head down and bawled because yeah. I'm like, I don't know what I said. I was an idiot. I didn't, didn't make any sense. Didn't make any sense. Yeah, that feeling, that feeling. And I had that so many times, this crazy haze of fear that it, it was paralyzing. And so they would have to push me out to do these interviews. Wow. And really try to convince me. So when you made the decision that you were going to say yes and Dartmouth called, how did that work for you? Were you... Oh, I had a speech written, mm -hmm. um, and I was on the plane going there, mm -hmm. and I read the speech over, and I thought, there is nothing in this speech that is true or me that isn't like a platitude, that doesn't feel like what you'd hear in every graduation speech you've ever heard. Follow your dreams. Right. It was all of the stuff that... Believe in yourself. Yeah. It was all of that stuff and it was <laughs> it was sort of designed to keep me hidden. Like uh -huh. you would you would hear the speech, you'd go, that's a speech. But you'd <laughs> that's a speech. Yeah. But you'd never know anything about me. You'd never feel like, oh, that's Shonda in there. And I hit delete and I started over on the plane. I wrote that speech on the plane on the way there. And it was... And you start it with your truth. Right. It was like, just tell you the truth. Be yourself. Be who you are. Yeah. And there's nothing better than that, honestly. Yeah. 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 And I was so much more comfortable standing up there, saying the truth. You can see it on the video. There is a moment on that video of me giving the speech where I stand up at the podium and I look out at the audience before I start speaking and I exhale. And that exhalation is the moment of me releasing any sign of fear, any moment of stage fright, it is the last time when standing in front of an audience, I have been afraid. You know what I think really works so beautifully with that speech is you standing up saying, I feel like I'm gonna poop in my pants. Yeah. I feel like, <laughs> I feel like, and once you say it, well, you know you're not going to. Yes. Now that you've said it, 
it sort of kind of released in right. a way, right? It was so, like coming out of, like I'm coming out as a person with stage fright. It yes. Was, it was just really yes, interesting. Yes, 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 yes. And it, it really did free me. Isn't it amazing how the truth does that? It really does. There's something about it, because I feel like we spend so much time hiding ourselves and trying to be something that we're not. Yes. Or trying to make sure that nobody knows that we're this person. And the minute you say like, oh, this is who I am. Yeah. It's so much better. Yeah. And that's, that's if you're Shonda Rhimes or if you're anybody in everyday situations. Yes. And what's interesting for me is it's always applied in my writing. Yes. That's what's so odd to me is that I've known this in my writing my entire life. The more truthful and the more, the deeper you go inside yourself for your writing, the better it always is. And yet I've never applied it to any other part of my life. During your Dartmouth address, you were so honest about the idea of being a, which I, I love the truth in all that speech, um, the idea of being a powerful woman and working woman and being a powerful mother at the same time, that if you're doing one thing really well, that something is always lacking. Do you yeah. still feel that? Or do you feel like you found a way to balance it? Or is there such a thing? I think, you know, part of it is giving yourself permission to be okay with the idea that something is always lacking. You know, the, it's the guilt that gets you. Mm. It's, it's the guilt that eats you alive. You know, I wrote that because on the plane, you know, right when I, before I got on the plane, I had rushed to my daughter's school to watch her get her school achievement certificate at the end of the year and had stayed long enough to watch her get her certificate, took a couple of pictures of her, said, I love you. She was like, are you coming to my, the party afterwards? I said, I can't. I got on a plane and went flying to Dartmouth. And I felt really awful about that. I mean, I was missing something. So... I was feeling that feeling of guilt in that moment. But I also felt like we should get to give ourselves permission to not feel guilty about it. It's, it really is part of the trade-off of what we're dealing with. I mean, what, what's the alternative? I'm a miserable, unhappy woman who doesn't work. Yeah. I don't write for a living. You know, there's, it's, it's not fair to, that would be less fair to my child, actually. Yeah. Because one of the things I thought was so important is that what we really want to bring to your daughters, to your family, is a happy life. Yeah. You want to present to them as a woman who can, is in control of herself, who knows how to make decisions for herself. This is what I think yeah. all mothers really want. And ultimately, that's why staying in a, in a bad marriage or being burdened by a relationship that isn't really working and you're doing it for the children doesn't work for the children because what they want is a happy mother. Yes. I'm amazed by the greeting cards right now. All the greeting cards are about sacrifice. Have you noticed that? Mother, you, you gave up so much for me. Yeah. You worked so hard for me. You sacrificed so much. You were so wonderful and giving and selfless. Where is the greeting card that says, Mother, you taught me how to be a powerful woman. Mother, you taught me how to earn a living. Mother, you taught me how to speak up for myself and not back down. Those are the greeting cards that should be out there. Those are the qualities that we would want for our daughters to have. I don't want my daughter to grow up and think I should shrink and be in the background. I should be selfless. I should be sacrificing. I should be silent. That's not what I think a mother is. And I don't think that that's what I want my daughters to see a mother be. This episode is brought to you by PNC Bank. Some things should be boring, like banking. Boring is safe and reliable. You don't want your bank to be entertaining. Entertaining is for podcasts with inspiring celebrity guests, not banks. PNC Bank strives to be boring with your money so you can be happily fulfilled with your life. PNC Bank, brilliantly boring since 1865. Brilliantly boring since 1865 is the service mark of the PNC Financial Services Group, Inc. 
PNC Bank National Association member FDIC. The next generation of influential Black voices can be found on NPR's new collection, Black Stories, Black Truths. Black Stories, Black Truths is a celebration of Blackness from NPR. Each of NPR's Black voices are as distinct, varied, and nuanced as the Black experience itself. In the Black Stories, Black Truths collection, you'll hear stories of joy, resilience, empowerment, and creating world-shifting things out of struggle. Every episode is a living account about what it means to be Black today, told from a unique Black perspective. From Bobby Shmurda to The Wire, Michelle Obama to Reparations, there's no limit to the range of Black stories, Black truths. Black perspectives haven't always been centered in the telling of America's story. Now they are the story. In NPR's Black Stories, Black Truths, you'll find a collection of some of NPR's best podcast episodes celebrating the Black experience. Stories should never be about us without us. Listen now to Black Stories, Black Truths from NPR, wherever you get podcasts. So how has the year of yes affected the way you raise your daughters? I have been more... um encouraging of their sort of ideas and interests, which has been So less timid, less timid. Less timid, but also more um, embracing of who they are. You know, my, my daughter Harper is 13. She's very different from me, and very different. Like she is an extroverted, tall, thin, beautiful, wannabe actress kind of child. And I am, if you put me in a corner with a book for the rest of my life, I'm happy. We are polar opposites. And I have really sort of thought, how do I embrace, spent my time thinking this year, how do I embrace her personality and make her shine for who she is? And that has been really wonderful for her and for me, as opposed to me thinking like, how do I help her fit into the box of what I think a kid is supposed to be? Wow. And so I said yes to my kids in a way that I had never done before. I decided to myself that every single time they asked me, my daughter says to me all the time, wanna play, wanna play? And there's so many times when I've said, well, I can't right now, honey, I'm doing this, or I can't right now. I decided that every single time she said to me, want to play, I would say yes. Wow. So it doesn't matter if I'm wearing an evening gown and heading out to the DGA Awards, or I am, have my bags on my shoulder and I'm heading out to work. I drop everything I'm doing, I get down on my hands and knees, and we play. And, you know, she's three. It's ten minutes. And she loves it. And it's changed my sense of being a mother and my sense of pride in being a mother. Mm -hmm. And it's changed our relationship, I think. Wow. With my, it's changed my relationship with my kids. I don't have the, any guilt. So there are big yeses and little yeses, but that little yes turns out to be a really big yes. It's turned out to be the biggest yes. So yes has affected every area of your life, really. I absolutely think so. Wow. Has, has it affected your writing? I, oddly enough, I don't think so. I was going to say, because is that like... That's, that's, that's a, a separate, sacred... Yeah, it's a separate space. Yeah. It's a very separate space for me. It doesn't exist on this plane. Did you ever imagine that when you kill McDreamy, it would make the news? I did not. <laughs> I did not. Not in season 11 did it ever occur to me that there would be an article in Time magazine about how to mourn a fictional character. Yeah. That just never even crossed my mind. I have to ask you, why'd you do it? I did it because I honestly spent a lot of time thinking story-wise, how do you exit that kind of character? Mm -hmm. you, can't, you can't let McDreamy leave her, like walk away. He has to remain dreamy. That mm. love has to stay alive. 
You know, you have mm -hmm. to believe that those two people were really in love forever. Yeah. And in order for that to be true, how is, else is he going to go, right? Either you end the show and Ellen was not ready, mm -hmm. or he has to die so that their love remains true. And that was really hard for us to do. It was hard for me, it was hard for Patrick, it was hard for Ellen, it was hard for us. That makes sense. Yeah. Do you think that this year of saying yes has allowed you to live a more awakened life? Absolutely. Ended up and sort of ended the year by doing this um, magazine photo shoot for Essence. Mm. And I'm standing on the rooftop of a hotel in New York with the Chrysler building behind yeah. me. And I'm posing and I'm suddenly feeling like a supermodel. And I thought, if I had said no to this, I would never have had this experience. But I also realized I can't say no anymore. Um, saying no really was a way of sort of stepping back from life. It was like a slow form of suicide. It was mm -hmm. saying, I don't want to be a part of the world anymore. Mm -hmm. So what I've learned from this year is that every single time you say yes, you're sort of stepping forward into the world again. You're rejoining the world. During those years when you were saying no to everything, were you lonely? Were you sad? Were you... I think that I was spending most of my time and most of my energy living inside my imagination as opposed to living in the real world. Mm. You know, I used to sort of joke, like, my body is a container that I carry my brain around in. And that mm. sounds really feminist and awesome, mm. but it's also sad mm. because it means that the real world that's happening outside is not something that I was conscious of or part of. Writing is your truth, would you say? Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Although I always say that, like, I'm, I make stuff up for a living. <laughs> and yet, that's my truth. That's your truth. Yeah. That's your truth. So tell me what happens. You know, we've all heard about, you know, athletes having a zone. Mm -hmm. Is it a zone for you too? I call it the hum. The hum? The hum. It's like I get this hum in my head where I feel like I could write forever. Like mm, hum? Yeah, almost, yeah. Like a frequency, basically. Wow. Where, I don't know, it's almost your, where you go from sort of exertion to, I don't know, exaltation, where it feels there's just an endless joy for me where I feel like I could write for the rest of my life and I lose time and my assistant has to come in and say, it's been five hours, um, you have to stop now because of this or that. It's, it's really lovely. It's, the, it's a real true happiness. It's very pure for me. Wow. It's a spiritual practice. Yeah, it is. I don't need to be any place in particular. I need a few things. I need my headphones which for some reason for me sort of signal it. It's almost like a hypnosis thing. You put your headphones on, I think, okay, now I'm in my space. So it is like a meditative state. It's yeah. a, where you're in that zone where you, because I think all artists, I remember Rain Wilson here saying that uh, art, there's no difference between art and prayer. Yeah, There's no difference between true. art and prayer. So does it feel like that? Yes, I do. I think that's very true. That you're in communication very, with, with some, a higher power. Yeah, with something higher than yourself, because I, it certainly isn't just coming from me. We can tell that from the very beginning, you always had it as a calling. Do you think everybody has a calling? I do. I really do. I think it's harder for some people to find out what their calling is than for others. But I think that everybody has one. Mm. Um, I think I was very lucky to know what mine is so early. Yeah. So what wisdom would you say, ultimately, that you've uncovered in this year of yes? We're all going to read the book, but what is the one thing that you come away with that you really want to pass, pass on? I want to pass on that it, that it can start small. Like, no matter how bad it seems or how, or even how great your life seems, whatever's going on, if you feel like you need to make a change, the yes can be a very small thing. 
You know, it can be yes to making a phone call to someone you haven't spoken to in a while. Mm -hmm. It can be a yes to your spouse. Yes, we will have this conversation. It can yes be, to playing with your children. It can be yes to playing with your children. It can be yes to walking around the block. Mm -hmm. It could be yes to holding someone's hand. Yes can be a very small thing and it can be life-changing. Can you finish this sentence? I believe. I believe we all have the power to change. Creativity is. Creativity is who we are. Mm. And imagination is. Imagination is our soul. Mm. Ooh. And saying yes is? Saying yes is transformative. I love that. What's the moment that most impacted or changed your life? Possibly 9-11, but mm. in a positive, strange way, and that mm. it's the thing that made me once again wake up and say, if the world's going to end tomorrow, there are things that I need to do. Um, and that's what drove me to sort of adopt my first daughter. Wow. Yeah. And you named her Harper Lee. And I did. I did. Okay, so what do you believe is the world's greatest wound? Oh, our inability to realize that we're all the same. Mm. Which is my next question. Where does ra prejudice and racism come from? I mean, yeah. that's, that's the same thing. Yeah. It's our, really our inability to realize we're all the same. Fear. Yeah, it's just fear. Yeah, racism is just fear. Yeah. And how can we begin to have the conversation that doesn't scare everybody? I know everyone is so afraid to have the conversation. I think everyone is so afraid that if they have the conversation, they're either calling someone a racist or they're being called racist or they're going to say the wrong thing. I feel like if you can't have the conversation, you can't make anything change. We can never heal. Yeah, and, and it's a conversation we all need to have because if we don't have it, I don't care who you are or what color you are, you're not living in an equal society. And I don't know how that can be comfortable for any of us. Yeah, and it keeps showing up. Mm -hmm. And in this year for us, it shows up with black men being shot. Yes. And if there wasn't a camera, nobody would believe exactly. it. Exactly. Or at least a lot of people wouldn't believe mm -hmm. it. Yeah, yeah. I think it's heartbreaking. Yeah. And I don't know how you want your children to grow up in a world like this, how you want the next generation to inherit a world where this is okay. Mm. So what is the truth, final question, what is the truth that you hold as your, as your way of life that, that you embrace on a, on a regular basis? When I was a kid, my father used to say to me all the time, the, limits, the only limit to your success is your own imagination. And I took that as not just being, you know, financial success or work success. I took that as being every kind of success. Um, love and family and emotional and everything. The only limit to your success is your own imagination. I really do think that that is true. Whatever you can imagine is possible. That yeah. is true. I'm so proud of you. Oh. Thank you, thank you. I'm excited. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you. Thank you. I'm Oprah Winfrey, and you've been listening to Super Soul Conversations, the podcast. You can follow Super Soul on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. If you haven't yet, go to Apple Podcasts and subscribe, rate, and review this podcast. Join me next week for another Super Soul Conversation. Thank you for listening. Reese's Peanut Butter Cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> that's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. 
Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one McCrispy, so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour.